they've found that people do self-select into careers and career fields and work environments based on personality types. So mm -hmm. when you understand your own style, you're going to be more empowered and more skilled in finding a career and a work environment that's a best fit. From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm your host, Dan Smolin. On this episode, we meet again with Edith Richards, a seasoned career counselor and globally recognized expert on the Myers-Briggs Personality Assessment. Edith shows us how Myers-Briggs results can be used to help identify how we derive energy from the world around us, process information, draw conclusions, and orient our lifestyles. What is more, she takes us through the results of an actual Myers-Briggs assessment to show us how the insight gathered can be used to improve the quality of our lives and careers doing meaningful work. We spoke with her in July 2018. So Edith Richards, welcome back to The Tightrope. Thank you, it's great to be here. Today we're talking about Myers-Briggs, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, M-B-T-I. What is that? Exactly. Unlike other assessments, Myers-Briggs is used for self-understanding and team understanding and development purposes. It is not used to diagnose or evaluate anyone. Unfortunately, this is how it is often misused as a means of predicting success in a job or in recruiting, for example, or even in relationships. So there's a lot of controversy surrounding the MBTI, Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. And if you, uh, if you, Dan, or any of our listeners are interested in my perspective on this as someone who has studied and utilized type theory extensively, I'd like to invite you to, to read my study on Myers-Briggs Type Myths and Misuse which is on my website, uh, www.atopcareer.com. Now, you were asking about the critical components of the Myers-Briggs. Right. At its core, Myers-Briggs is about preferences. We all have preferences in life, but like our preference for chocolate or vanilla, <laughs> we may eat both from right. time to time. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> right, we all do, but there's one that we prefer over the other. Mm -hmm. And the Myers-Briggs works the same way. There are certain things that come more naturally than others. We can learn to do things that aren't natural, and we do out of necessity, but it will never be our, our go-to means of learning or our go-to mode of functioning. We all behave in ways that are counter to who we are most naturally and comfortably. So with the Myers-Briggs, the first step is really to understand who we are most mm -hmm. naturally and comfortably. And when we're in that place, that will help us to feel more empowered to make better decisions for our lives and our career. What are the components? Let's, sure. let's start with how it yeah. breaks out. So the MBTI looks at your natural preferences. So where you direct your energy, how you take in information, how you make decisions, and how you orient yourself to the external world. So it's measuring those four broad-based areas of personality. 
so just a little bit more about the about the Myers Briggs here because I, I don't want there to be any misunderstandings from the audience. Sure. This this should not be this assessment should not be the sole measure of anyone's career decision. So your personality is a, is a complex mix of many factors and there's no assessment that can give you a complete picture. Mm-hmm. But ultimately Myers Briggs is measuring those four those four areas our, our energy and attention information gathering decision making and lifestyle orientation well very good okay, okay. so now what the audience does not know is that you're taking over the podcast edith and you're going to do an assessment of me and you have the results to reveal in this episode. So I'm going to turn over the yoke of the plane to you, Edith. Uh, happy sailing. <laughs> Why, thank you. Okay, so uh, so you have actually already taken a Myers-Briggs assessment, Dan. I have. And um, you took it online. You do not know the results of that. But I those, do not. <laughs> but I do. But I do. <laughs> and that's what we call uh, your reported type. Okay. All right. So I do have the results of your reported type. And what we're gonna do now is go through your self-reported type. Okay. And then at the end, we're gonna see how well those two align with each other. But right. you're gonna give me the, the types for me to try to figure out who yes. I am unaided, right? That's right, there, okay. yes, good. So, so let's, start, let's start with a fun exercise. All right. You have a pen and a piece of paper there. Okay. So what I'd like you to do is to, uh, if you would, sign your name for me. All right, and I see you doing that, and I see you did it with your left hand, and uh, so now I'd like you to sign your name with your other hand, your non-dominant hand, right hand. And you did that pretty quickly. What did you notice about that, the difference between those? They're in the same ballpark, but the right-handed one, which is not my dominant hand, is obviously not my signature, but it could be, I suppose. So are you saying that they they look similar? They are similar. They are similar. And what was the experience like using your your right hand as opposed to your left hand? Well, you know, it's an interesting question because growing up, I had teachers who were rightists. (laughs) They they didn't like left-handed people for whatever reason. And um, so I learned how to do things uh, like cut and measure, not so much write, I did sprain my wrist once, my left wrist, which is my writing hand, and so I had to write with my right hand, and it took a little practice, but not terrible. Okay. So you have some ambidextrous qualities there, and, and I noticed when you when you did this exercise, you really had no trouble doing it. So when, I, when I've given this exercise to a lot of people, uh, they, they do have quite a bit of trouble uh, writing with their non-dominant hand. So, uh, so I find it interesting that you know you were able to complete this task, you know, relatively easily. Uh, at least that's what it looks like to the outside world. And so, so the result of this exercise, it should confirm whether you're right or left-handed, but not how well you perform the task or how pretty right. your handwriting is. Right. You have two usable hands you're able to perform this task and have the ability and you have the ability to use both hands right. but you in your case dan also have a preference for using your left hand right. 
over your right hand. And this doesn't mean that, that you can't use both hands, but this is a really good analogy for the Myers-Briggs and it's an, an analogy we type practitioners often use when we're introducing the concept of preferences is mm -hmm. the handedness. Everybody's either right-handed or left-handed, but it doesn't mean we don't have the ability or with practice to use our non-dominant hand mm -hmm. when required, all right? So the first area that we're gonna talk about here with the Myers-Briggs is extroversion versus introversion, E and I, mm -hmm. okay? People are energized in one of two ways. Extroverted types like to mix and mingle with people. They receive energy from interacting with others and taking action. They tend to speak freely and vocally, meet people readily, and participate in a lot of different types of activities. And they may get restless if they're not involved with people or activities. All right, so these are people who have a preference for extroversion. People with a preference for introversion focus their energy and attention inwardly. They think things through before sharing, and they may find socializing with large groups of people exhausting. They're therefore more selective in the activities they participate in and the people they socialize with. Introverted types also tend to get agitated without enough alone time or undisturbed time. So remembering that we use both extroversion and introversion right. in our daily lives, there's one that comes easier and more naturally. Which one do you think that is for you, Dan? I'm going to call myself a soft extrovert. Okay, okay. Because, as you just said, I'm a little bit of both. I can be very introspective and, and drawn tight if, if I'm unsure of a situation. I won't, mm -hmm. I won't plunge into a big crowd of people, although I'm not uncomfortable in a big crowd of people. Right. And, and um, keeping this in mind here that, that it's, it's, um, it's on a continuum, so it's on a, on a line here. And mm -hmm. at one end of the line, you can have somebody who, who's very, very comfortable in that extroverted world. And on the other side, you have someone who's very comfortable in that world of introversion most of us are going to fall in the middle. Okay, so we're gonna say though that you, uh, that you have a preference for extroversion. Right. Excellent, okay, so first letter is gonna be an E. Okay. Now, second letter in our Myers-Briggs type is going to be either S or N, sensing or intuition. So we've used the, the I to stand for introversion, so we're gonna use the second letter uh, to stand for, for um, it, uh, which is N, intuition. We're gonna use that to stand for, for intuition in this case. So people take in information, they receive information in one of two ways. Sensing types show a literal, realistic, and often detailed preference for information gathering. They are focused on facts and present realities. Sensing types use their five senses uh, taste, touch, uh, sight, hearing, taste, touch, and smell, uh, to notice information through direct observation, and they value solid and recognizable achievements. They may see the trees, but not the forest, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? Uh, so intuitive types are big picture people who use their sixth sense, their intuition, to notice information through general concepts they might drift off into their own worlds thinking or talking about something that might happen in the future as their focus is on possibilities, what could be. 
intuitives tend to value unique achievements and information achieved through inspiration rather than through facts. Intuitive types may see the forest, but not the trees. So keeping in mind that all of us use both sensing and intuition in our daily lives, but there's one that we prefer. Right. Which one would you say that you prefer, Dan? Oh, I'm an intuitive. Okay. I, okay. I can say that without hesitation. Okay. Uh, care to share a little bit about that? I got the feels. I can <laughs> walk into a room and read things. I've always had this ability. Sometimes I can walk up to a complete stranger and I'll say, hey, you and I have never met, but are you so-and-so's sister? And the person looks at me stunned and says, yes, I am. And we're in a completely different town, maybe a different state. So that's always been a thing that I've had. Mm, that's interesting. So, you, so you're relying quite a bit on that sixth sense, that je ne sais quoi, that, that feeling of inspiration or idea. Not to say that I don't use my other senses, Yes. but this yes. one is like a thunderbolt when it's working. Excellent, excellent. Okay, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of uh, implications, I'm sure, for the, the second letter here, this information gathering. Uh, many, many of us, many of we type practitioners uh, believe this is where communication happens because if you think about it, the people that you are connecting with most easily share this preference for mm -hmm. either sensing or intuition, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, interestingly enough, intuitives tend to be the minority in the, in the world at only uh, 25 to 27% of the population. I'm not surprised by yeah. that. <laughs> the, however, in many career fields, we will see kind of a plethora of intuitives, uh, particularly in, uh, in higher education, in um, professors who, who are in higher education, because as the higher that we go, at least in our American system, mm -hmm. the more theoretical it becomes. Sure. Yeah. However, and we're going to see a lot of sense, sensing types more in work like, uh, like accounting that's, that's heavy detailed work uh, in, in, um, in the corporate world quite a bit. Uh, also in, in military uh, and these types of careers. Sure. Yeah. All right. So, so, um, so we have an E and we have an N. Right. So let's go on to the third letter. This is going to be T or F, thinking or feeling. People come to conclusions in one of two ways. Thinking types emphasize the logic of a decision, stepping out of the situation and taking a cold, hard look at the decision based on facts and data. Thinking types may take people and values into consideration, but these are, are facts to be considered. Uh, thinking types are going to choose being truthful with people before being tactful with people. Dealing with people requires firmness and interactions with people should have a purpose according to thinking types. Okay, um, feeling types on the other hand will emphasize the impact of the decision on people, harmony and values and relationships. This person is going to step into the situation and experience the decision from a feeling perspective. Feeling types uh, tend to believe that people are worth listening to and they see interactions with people as friendly and they often prefer a compassionate approach with people. So 
keeping in mind that all of us are using thinking and feeling in our daily lives. Which one comes more naturally for you, Dan? Oh, I'm a feeling type. You're a feeling type. Yes. Okay, for sure? I think so. Okay, and what makes you say that? I get into social situations trying to read people and feel their energy. Mm -hmm. And if I sense that um, I have an opportunity for something, I might pursue a line of dialogue. And if I don't, then I may not. That's just an example. Okay. All right. Excellent. So, so you are uh, naturally able to, uh, you view yourself as being naturally able to empathize with people? Oh, no doubt. Okay. No and doubt. feel what they're feeling. Yeah. All right. Well, I may not always feel what they're feeling, but I empathize with whatever plight they're going through. Okay. All right. Okay. Excellent. So let's move on to the last one then. This is going to be a J or a P. This stands for judging or perceiving. And it's important to note here, this is not about, J does not mean being judgmental, okay? And P does not mean being perceptive. This is about our lifestyle orientation. Okay. Okay, people run their everyday lives in one of two ways. Judging types are influenced by their decision-making preference, and therefore they prefer a life that is orderly, planned, predictable, and controlled. They tend to be structured, tolerant with routine, but uncomfortable with surprises or unplanned changes. Perceiving types whose preference is for information gathering and enjoying spontaneity prefer to explore new things and often finish at the last minute. They prefer to live in a flexible way, staying open to new options and information. They tend to be frustrated by rules and highly structured tasks. So keeping in mind that we both use judging and perceiving right. daily, which one comes more naturally for you, Dan? I'm not late with deadlines typically, but I think I like spontaneity. I think I'm more of a perceiver. Okay, so you're more of a perceiving type here. All right, so, uh, so what uh, is your four-letter uh, self-reported Myers-Briggs type? E N F P. That's E is in Echo, N is in November, F as in Frank, and P as in Papa. Okay, so so that's interesting. So you're actually this is different from your reported Myers Briggs type. You reported as an ENTP, and you self-reported as an ENFP. So your reported type is ENTP. So there's a there's a difference here in the the thinking and the and the feeling, right? So let me uh, let me talk a little bit more about that difference between okay. thinking and feeling. This is about how we're how we're making decisions here. Okay. So again, thinking types tend to make decisions based on objective data and information, and truth is the primary objective. Mm -hmm. Feeling types tend to be more subjective in their decision making, and compassion tends to to be to be more the objective there with feeling types. Okay, so so one of the questions to to ask mm -hmm. when when there's uh, for for this is, let's imagine uh, since you worked in the world of recruiting for mm -hmm. for many years, right? If you were told that you had to lay off five people on your team what's your reaction to that oh I'd be stressed okay because 
because people are relying on me for income, you know, for a livelihood. That said, I'm running a business, so things have to be done, and I'm not going down with the ship. Okay. So there's the, there's the, uh, the conflict there between these two types. Absolutely. That's definitely conflict between thinking and feeling. So, so when, how would you go about making that decision? Quickly, when I've had to do it in the past, I've not waited too long because you need to get on. If you think about things too much, if you have too much of the feels for it, I think it can get worse. I think people want to know bad news quickly mm-hmm. uh, so that they can get on with their lives and, and to be honest about it. So in that respect, I've been very honest about the situation and never personal. Mm-hmm. This is the situation. Maybe it's a revenue shortfall or you know, in recruiting, oftentimes we're at the, at the whims of the economy. So the hiring tends to slow down first in our sector before it happens in other sectors. And you have to be honest about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I understand the person's plight, but they also have to understand we're running a business here. So I guess that's part of the conflict that I have. And maybe that's not unusual. What mm-hmm. would you say about that? So ENFP types and ENTP types, there's a lot of similarities between these two types. Mm-hmm. But the difference it re- really, it, it comes down to this type of decision making. With feeling types, when, when I present uh, feelers with a scenario like this, where they might mm-hmm. have to deliver bad news or, or tell somebody you know they're laid off, something like this, typically you can see on their faces the stress that, that comes up with feeling types. They'll grimace or they'll frown or they will, they will say, you know, I, I really don't want to, to do this. There's a, a, a tremendous amount of guilt there mm-hmm. often. Um, and uh, the, the interesting thing about the thinking and the, the feeling types is that when they do make the decision, the decision is often going to be very similar mm-hmm. at the end. But the process for making that decision is going to be very different. Okay, okay so what I described to you is more thinking than... You, yeah, yes, okay. and, and that's and and you you realize that yourself, which which I'm 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 pleased for because with the thinking type, you know they are going to take uh, people's feelings into consideration. There's mm-hmm. going to be some some worry there. It doesn't mean that thinking thinking types are, um, you know, completely unfocused on people. Right. Absolutely not. But it's one piece of the pie when you're trying to make a decision. And in this case, it's a business decision. It's sure. not personal. Right. In fact, it's, you know, why, why are you taking things so personal? It, it's not meant to be personal. This is business. And that, yeah. that's a very thinking response. Now, to a feeling type, everything is personal. Yes. Everything. Oh, I agree. Everything. So, so, uh, so when, they, when they make a decision, when feeling types make a decision, it is going to be on the basis people are going to be the the basis. So does that does that? Um, I think that clears that up. So okay. I probably am more. Yeah, I think the way I had, I had assessed through the study is probably a, a clearer picture of me than what I just self-assessed. Well, but that's that's okay because uh, you know, and a lot of people have this. Their their self-reported type is different from their from their uh, reported type. In your case, uh, Dan, you you've learned uh, to to develop that feeling feeling side, and it's it's probably to your benefit because you're better balanced in many of the decisions that you do make in in business. Um, How rare or unrare is an ENTP? Uh, so ENTPs 
uh, are, according to most statistics, uh, between four to six percent of the population. So it's a little bit rare, whereas ENFPs are, uh, we're going to find more ENFPs than ENTPs mm -hmm. in the population. So more like um, uh, seven to ten percent ENFP. But um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the ENTP type, okay. uh, just to see if this if this sounds like you and some of the um, the career uh, the career satisfactions and uh, and frustrations that we often see with this type. Okay. Uh, so ENTPs like change and they like anything that's new. Yes. <laughs> They're very sure of their inspiration and ideas. And so they, they find if they find difficulties or challenges along the way, including naysayers, these are all just just uh, bumps in the road. They're challenges to overcome and challenges are stimulating for ENTP types. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, ENTPs, uh, they do tend to neglect routine things and they tend to lack follow-through. That's one of the weaknesses of this type. They may lose interest in projects once the novelty has worn off. And most ENTPs ha have probably received feedback about being irresponsible or undependable. They also tend to have a knack for either interrupting others or, or perhaps not giving their full attention and giving off a vibe of pretending to listen when they're really thinking about other things. One of the hallmarks of this type is debate. ENTPs really enjoy a good debate. And this mm. is one of the differences between an ENFP and an ENTP. ENFPs are, are not going to enjoy uh, debating as much. Uh, ENTPs, you know, they, they um, enjoy debate for the sake of debate, and they will often start to, to have debates with people in general conversations. I will challenge people's assumptions if that mm -hmm. falls under the same category. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as far as attention span, hey, guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a function of work, too. Sometimes if, if you uh -huh. have a lot on your plate, you're not following through. Well, with um, with ENTP types, the the um, the attention is always on novelty. Like, what's the next big thing that's coming? What's the what's the next thing on the horizon here? And so, it's not surprising that this is uh, th this is how this plays out in um, in the world mm. and in in careers. You know, it's these are not types who are who are stagnant in their careers. They're always looking for kind of the next big thing. Even if that's within their within their jobs, they're you know looking for the next task because it, it's more exciting to get on to the next task than to work on something that's that's routine. Well, look at me. I'm on the third or fourth act in my <laughs> life, and I'm not even sixty. I've, I've had a very, lot of career yeah. changes, and it, it's where the universe has taken me. So. Yeah, it, it's it's very typical. It's very typical of ENTP types, and that's why we see many ENTPs in the world of of entrepreneurship. Uh, so some other some other hallmarks of this of this type. Well, let's talk about some of the good things. Oh, um, good. <laughs> these uh, ENTPs uh, ENTPs love to live on the edge, mm -hmm. and I will venture to say that their single greatest contribution. Uh, and speaking for you for you, Dan, what I know about you, I do believe this is true: is creative mind. Their creative and intellectual mind. 
ENTPs, it's no surprise that they're great entrepreneurs because they're naturals at getting people to rally around their ideas and generate enthusiasm. And they view work as one exciting challenge after another. They may not be committed to a project if a better deal comes along, it's, it's fair to say, but the worst thing for an ENTP is to become bogged down by routine or to be controlled by someone else. So, so ENTPs are gonna do best in environments where there's opportunity to work on a variety of creative challenges with new and different approaches and a casual environment where there's, there's a limited amount of rules and restrictions. You know, I'm thinking back uh, a long, long time ago when I was in high school and I was a editor of my school paper and we had a new teacher come kind of suddenly to take over. And her working style was so different from the person that she replaced. I would call it pedantic. She was about rules and I came out of this particular journalism school and this is the way you do it. And I felt so awful about journalism and this is the career path that I thought I was going to do when I was 17, 18 years old. And it squashed it and I think back about it because Maybe it's because I couldn't, I had to do it my way. I had to find my, my path to get, to get the writing done, to get the journalism done, to edit the school paper. And instead of soldiering through, I just said, check please, and I moved on to something else. But imagine if you had been exposed to something like this back then, and if she had been exposed to, to, uh, to Myers-Briggs or similar personality assessments back then. And you had been able to use that information to find a way to appreciate each other's perspectives. You know, because, because with somebody who, who's coming in with a, with a predetermined structure for, for work, I mean, you can imagine how, um, how difficult it was for her to also work with someone who's, you know, frankly, uh, unconventional and, and coming in with these new ideas. It, it could be threatening to her, too, at the same time. My daughter was in a school many years ago where they uh, did Myers-Briggs assessment, and she was, oh, I would say probably in sixth grade at the time. And, uh, okay, I was open to the idea that she could at least know what her type was, and I'm not going to get into that, but my, my concern, and you kind of voiced this earlier, is the misuse. Mm -hmm. And what I sensed from this particular school was that the, the Myers-Briggs result for my kid was a way of separating her uh, and not finding inclusion and not finding specialness. And from what you've taught me, it's the specialness part that we really need to think about because we do these things so that we engage with the world better. Yeah, and unfortunately, you're, you're right there that people use it to pigeonhole people. And uh, it's really should never be used that way. Uh, it should be used productively to be able to appreciate the differences that each of us bring. Uh, now, I understand uh, a lot of the skepticism around the Myers-Briggs, and uh, first of all, I want to say that there's so much more that goes into a career decision besides one's Myers-Briggs type, okay? There's several factors that may be contributing to someone's uncertainty about, 
uh, about where they are in life and that okay. including you know the own, their own lack of self-awareness now this can be enhanced by learning more about your myers-briggs type like learning more about how you you function most naturally but there's other external factors things that the myers-briggs doesn't even measure uh, that can affect you know the work mm. environment that you want to work in um, everything from your family cultural mm -hmm. expectations family of origin mm -hmm. uh, you know and and where you are now I mean we all have to pay the bills right, right? right. so back to your your point about um, questioning the the scientific uh, credibility of Myers-Briggs and, mm -hmm. and I think this is fair to say it's people who who question that it's these um, the these thoughts are are about revolving around the the assessments reliability and validity okay so test retest reliability for Myers-Briggs has consistently been determined to be above average okay? okay and this information is publicly available through CPP who are the publishers of the assessment and CAPT uh, CAPT.org which houses a lot of the the data regarding uh, Myers-Briggs. Now, the validity results of Myers-Briggs or, or any other personality assessment are not inherently valid or invalid, all right? So only the interpretations made from the data are valid or invalid. So this is why it's so important to have a certified practitioner who understands uh, the statistics behind the instrument and yeah. can explain the limitations, all right? Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Myers-Briggs should never be used to screen candidates for a job interview, should never be used to make hiring decisions, because it doesn't measure one's ability to do a job. Just like with, that, with the handwriting here, it's not measuring your, your ability to have pretty handwriting here. It's not measuring that ability, it's measuring our preferences. Let's get to the why we would do this, and, and, the, and the respect that a lot of the people that come to you are looking to make some improvement in their lives and in particular in their work situation and perhaps to get into something more meaningful to them as a uh, line of work or a kind of job. So how might the results like you gave me apply to them? If I can use your example here uh, mm -hmm. to answer that question, Dan, you, you probably would not flourish in a stagnant or highly structured organization where you have a micromanaging boss. Would that be fair to say? Oh, indeed. Oh, <laughs> and indeed. that's probably a, a big uh, reason why you left the corporate world and, and went out on your own. It was part of it. Okay. Okay, good. And, you know, this is this is very indicative of, uh, of ENF, e ENTP types and ENFP types as well. Um, there are certain Myers-Briggs types that we do not see in certain career paths precisely because those career paths uh, don't support their types. Uh, and in the, the research, the research that has been done on Myers-Briggs types over for over 25 years, they've found that people do self-select into careers and career fields and work environments based on personality type. So mm -hmm. when you understand your own style, you're going to be more empowered and more skilled in finding a career and a work environment that's a best fit. So the fact that I'm a corporate escapee does not <laughs> surprise you. It, it doesn't, but you know, that also is not meant to say that you could not be successful in the corporate world. Right. Uh, but doing so may mean, in your case, 
trying to find a balance between uh, where your natural type preferences are and what those of that work environment are. And if they're, they're not a match, it may be, it may be a little bit more difficult uh, to, to find your own um, personal sense of satisfaction in that environment. So one last question is this, and it has to do with the process of going to a second act career, moving out of something that has flamed out or lost its lost its market and, and maybe has become unstable. And, and you're at a point in your life now where you want to try something new, but try something you really want to do. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you provide someone who expresses the desire to, to do work that makes a difference, something that's meaningful, but they don't know how to either pivot from the work they're doing into meaningful work or maybe do a side hustle into some meaningful project that can maybe open some new opportunities for them. What advice would you give? Yeah, this is where it, it's it really becomes um, an, about an individual's uh, an individual's journey and an individual's challenge. So, if I think the first thing is, you know, you want to try to to imagine, try to get the creative juices flowing, and just see what is it that you really want to do. Try to do a little bit of brainstorming. Uh, that you know, the reality is not going to follow suit until you think about what it is that you want to do in the future. So this kind of goes back to the Myers-Briggs type here, the Myers-Briggs sensors, sensing types may, you know, find this a little more difficult than intuitive types do because uh, intuitive types are natural at imagining future possibilities and what that looks like. So so um, sensing types, this is an opportunity to tap into that world of intuition and think about, you know, what you want your next 20 years or, or 30 years or 50 years to look like in your in your career. Now, uh, the, uh, the other side of that is that you have to be realistic. You have to look at what, what your, your monthly bills look like and right. um, how, how much money do you, do you need. Uh, and then uh, looking at your budget and making some, some hard decisions for if the new, um, the new career life is, is worth it. You know, we always enjoy having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I know we're going to have you back because we're talking about some other things that we think will be of great interest to our listeners. Before we leave, um, point our listeners to where they can find you to learn more about Myers-Briggs and other things. Sure. So my website is www.atopcareer, that's A-T-O-P-C-A-R-E-E-R.com. And I really appreciate you having me back here on the tightrope, Dan. Thanks so much. My pleasure. And the, um, the links to uh, Edith's website will be uh, on our podcast page, as well as a link to the study that you referred to earlier. Thank you so Excellent. much. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks again to our guest, Myers-Briggs expert, Edith Richards, for walking the tightrope with us. Links to her website and other resources are available on our website at dansmolin.com. Check out our past episodes on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts by keywording The Tightrope with Dan Smolin. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and post your comments, like listener Die Pollen Die, who writes... The tightrope fits in so closely with my values of experience versus having things. 
And listener Jewel JD, who comments that the features are well chosen for their points of view and insight on career pathways. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, Jewel JD. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list and please suggest topics that you believe we should tackle in future episodes by writing us at info at dansmolin.com. From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm Dan Smolin. And do remember this, our best days lie ahead. Have a great and successful week, everyone. 